Hi, my name is Janelle Engelstad, and welcome to the MAP Radio Hour, a Make Art with Purpose podcast. The MAP Radio Hour includes conversations with creatives, scientists, and other people addressing the intersection of cultural, political, and environmental concerns. You can find out more about MAP and our projects at makeartwithpurpose.net. This edition of the MAP Radio Hour features Shannon Stratton, the William and Mildred Ladson Chief Curator at Museum of Arts and Design in New York. Our conversation took place against the backdrop of the exhibition Sonic Arcade, Shaping Space with Sound. What's the source of inspiration for this exhibition? Um, uh, The source of inspiration actually came from a couple experiences of seeing live electronic music and realizing that the way musicians are working with electronic music right now is really spatial. Um, And bringing in their own engineers and and those engineers really playing with how the sound performs in a space. And once I really understood that, it made me think really differently about what things we had to experience in person now that we're spending a lot of times on our phone experiencing visual information, like digitally, that sound is something you kind of really, the way people were working with it, the way you truly experienced it had to be physical and in person. And so that, um, it it really came out of this interest in in looking at um, a material and a discipline that was um, not replicable on Instagram, you know, not replicable on social media, and was really embodied. And then um, looking for artists who um, were exploring that kind of materiality of sound in the work that they were making that meant that the work itself also had a lot to do with materiality and embodiment. So, like sitting here in Julianne's piece, which for her was about thinking about singing bowls and how kind of like how tactile that sound was, how bodily it was, and how that related to um, kind of meditative practices and things that were about embodiment. So this piece made a lot of sense in trying to kind of grapple with, um, you know, what made sound like a substance that you actually had an in real life experience with at once at IRL. <laughs> right. But, yeah. As I know you, you have projects rolling around in your head and ideas and <laughs> things, you know. You're, I think you kind of, as I know you, gather through the years. I mean, you're, you're seeing things and storing things away in your memory or in your files. And, you know, and that's and curatorially, project-wise, things start to take shape or another piece comes in and then an idea maybe takes shape in a different way. So let's talk about how that may, pro- how was your process and what started um, yeah. Sonic Arcade. Um, originally, I was just calling it Soundcraft, and then in some sort of marketing meeting, it ended up with <laughs> this name Sonic Arcade, which I uh, ended up fi- thinking was a fine title because arcade also means something architectural. So, 
and there is this real thing about this exhibition that's about how sound actually um, like affects space that you have a very particular kind of experience of space with sound it's not it's not entirely or like oral it's physical too you know and, and right. that was I think something that I was looking for in people's work and but where that came out of um, you know stepping like 20 steps back from that um, yeah like I'm not a traditional curator because I come out of an MFA background so I think I'm thinking when I think about how or when I'm thinking about exhibitions I'm thinking about experiences of things in the world and how to translate experiences of the world into an experience with art and that's how I'm looking at making curatorial decisions I'm not a PhD art historian who's just trying to you know kind of narrate a history I'm actually really thinking about well how to, can I capture what's um, what's happening in this person's practice and what about that practice seems like pretty timely and interesting in a specific cultural moment I'm like looking for that like yeah you know that synthesis that synthesis yeah. and like the feeling that you can get out of it more than anything right you know when you stick your toe in the water of an idea that you're excited about but isn't something that you've been fostering your whole life as you know as your subject it can feel a little like okay am I allowed to do this am I allowed to enter into this space and um and that is like I guess the interesting thing to me about you know curators curatorial practice is that there that there are curators that you know really want to take ownership over a topic in an area and own it and then there's curators that are like more kind of experimental like travelers or something I don't know yeah. you know and we're um uh yeah we're navigating we're navigating the world of art very differently and I think audience I think there are two I think there are audiences that want the exhaustive thing and then I think there are audiences that don't even have the patience for it like you said yeah, and I think that's also changing. I mean, I think it's really reflective of our times that, you know, the, the more traditional curatorial practice is that survey exhibition and the yeah. big catalog and the essays, and, and that there's value in that for yeah. sure because um, you can gain insight into work and really go deep into a theme or into an artist. But... I think this kind of exhibition speaks more today to everything's so fractured. Yeah, yeah. And you get a sliver here, but there is, it does have an impact. It's not like this is just a thin layer of ice. There's, there's depth. <laughs> good, you know, good. you can have something be more narrow, but it goes very deep, and you get that here, so.
curating as an MFA. Yeah. Okay. Someone who had a studio practice. Mm -hmm. And it definitely, you, you, you're talking about how you think you, you approach something perhaps different than a, than a traditional curator who's coming from an art history background. Mm -hmm. There's something more material? Or well, yeah, I mean, it seems very, uh, yeah, I think it, it does feel different, and in some ways it's not translatable. Um, it, like it's not rhetorical maybe mm -hmm. you know I'm not coming from I'm not coming at curating through language I'm not coming at curating through data or you know like history in this other in this way that a somebody trained as a art historian is I'm not I'm coming at it as a maker so I'm like coming at it physically is that yeah <laughs> you know yeah, and it's I think like from your gut almost. it's from my gut almost exactly yeah. and I find that um know like over the years like I go back and forth between trying to figure out how to explain that and then also sort of sometimes feeling kind of guilty about it you know like oh well maybe I should have no business doing this you know right because I should be I should go take a PhD I should like validate my my work or something in this more traditional way but you have an MA too don't you yeah I do but, <laughs> but I I you know I feel in certain circles like this distinct black because I do have a different background than there are lots of curators that come from an MFA, but not as many as you think. Right. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I have really wonderful relationships with artists that when we do projects together, I have a capacity to trust them that, I, that, that works out well for both of us. I feel like I get a lot of feedback from artists when they're working with me about the like the degree to which I trust their instincts and their working process that's yeah. different for them. It's a different kind of conversation. It's yeah, and I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to trust them. I'm just like, oh well, yeah. you yeah. know, I I know what you're doing here. Exactly, but it's that's, a gut relationship. Too. I have that with doing projects, you know, when Matt produced projects, but because I come from the same tradition, yeah, you know, and come from, you know, making media. I think it's a different kind of conversation. Yeah. I mean, and it's a conversation about process, or it's a trusting yeah. process. Yeah, totally a trusting process. Yeah. But that's a hard thing, I think, sometimes to translate, like even to my colleagues at the museum sometimes, who um, are always wanting me to translate my thinking process for them really didactically. And I'm just like, hey, yeah. I can't. Like, I would have to make you vision boards all the time or something. And I, like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, like it, somewhere my process is so organic and physical and gut related, and um, I don't want to use the word intuitive because I don't think it's quite intuitive. I think it's, I think it is based on a real kind of ongoing like curiosity about many many things in the world, and I'm piecing those things together into an idea. It's not, you know, it's not entirely like it's not guesswork intuitive I don't know now I'm like what is intuition <laughs> anyways um but yeah full circle I think um I, I'm cautious about saying curating is like a creative practice for me because I know a lot of people don't want to feel like curators are making art with their art and I'm really cautious about making it sound like that's what I think I do or I'm really cautious about in projects making sure that I'm not doing that that the work is still about the artist's work but I am looking for frameworks that I don't know maybe um are more creative or more expansive and I think that's kind of what uh, but there seems to, to be yeah I think there's a trend in that anyway yeah I mean, and not that you're 
like trying to be part of a trend because I don't. I think you're just doing how your your practice naturally grew in one direction. Right. But there there is definitely um, curators who are vocally stating and stepping into the, a role that is broader than curatorial practice has been historically. I mean, yeah. you see it all over, and that there is this. Um, claiming of space that's more creative. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like if you go through a curatorial program, let's say, instead of a like a PhD in art history, I think you probably are taught the language and the framework in order to talk about your curatorial practice that way. I think that's what happens at Bard, let's right. say. Right, yeah. I didn't do that, though, so I'm just... Yeah, making it up <laughs> as you go along. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> you know, be faking it until you make it. I know one time, in, in, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and a year or so ago or something, I said something to you about, oh, so have, do you ever think about, uh, you know, making again? And you, like, really quickly said, no, I'll never go back in the studio. I mean, it was so fast and so certain. It was almost surprised me. Yeah. Because I, I was like, wow. that day, I think. No. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it was um, surprising because... I do remember when you were showing work in Chicago, and people were like, "Wow, I really Shannon do Stratton want to make work. really good artist." So people were, That's you know, nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, there was a buzz, and you, you, you made you made very sophisticated, interesting work that um, when you were coming out of your MFA. Yeah. So and you seemed, you know, really engaged as an artist. So that was surprising when you said that, but now it, maybe you're having a different kind of thinking. I think I really have a, I think I am such a pendulum about that. Like, if one day somebody asks me that question, I'm like, no, come on, I'm not going to make art again. Like, yeah. 
other way. And then if somebody asks me that question, or if I ask myself that question, I'm like, yes, honestly, I would really like to set up a studio in my house. You know, like, uh-huh. I, I think I do, but I think I get sort of um, overwhelmed or something with the options, like how to re-enter something that um, I stopped doing maybe 12 years ago. Like, so how do I re-enter... How do I like retrain myself? I mean, it's funny, you know, how many barriers a person can erect, you know, between themselves and their own creative output. (laughs) You know, and like, I just have, I mean, I really want to get rid of those barriers and see what, you know, what would happen again. But at the same time, I do feel super satisfied by curating certain kinds of content. Like there are certain things that when I'm done, I'm like, this did really satisfy the part of me that's an artist still um and you know that doesn't happen with everything right right (laughs) but it happens with like quite a like a few things for sure I think it happens with this show but um but this show made me super nervous too you know why because it's stark like there's you know a handful of installations it's not um I feel under pressure in an institutional setting to have, like, more things, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, first of all, sound takes up space, and that's part of the the proof of this show. It's like sound actually, even if it's ephemeral, requires an enormous amount. Like, it consumes and requires so much space. Right. There's a materiality to it. There's a materiality to it, exactly. And that was the real point, I think, of trying to do a project like this at a museum with a craft history is to be like, hey, this is material too. <laughs> right. Like glass and like ceramic and like fiber and paint. It's like a material that people manipulate. It's not just a byproduct of a practice. You know, it's not just disappearing into space. And there are different ways people shape it that come from different fields. Um, and I think non... there are, I've met a lot of people over the years that when talk to them about sound as an art form or like sounds not art you know where are we going to draw the line <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. really conservative opinions or only identify sound with traditional musicians you know or, or field recordings maybe or, or field recordings yeah. but just like music you know right not sound in and of itself as a kind of like substance um that might bear meaning or might like affect situations and that is a like that is content. I think. I mean, I'm so interested in that as content. Like, I could do that for. I could make many, many shows about those ideas probably for the rest of my life. I mean, this show didn't do all of the things I would want it to do. But um, yeah, no, it was scary to me because it's um, in a small museum. There's only so many things you can choose, like to use in this context because. I can't put like 35 sound artworks in here. Right. But you there's know. something I think actually, what is there, eight or 10 or right. some? How many are there? Um, it's across three floors. Yeah. And there is uh, one, two, three, four like significant installations. And then there's two nested exhibitions. Um, there's work from our collection in the jewelry gallery, and then there's a kind of experimental piece in the stairwell. Right. So, so yeah. There's something, well, for me, walking around as a listener and viewer, experiencing the exhibition, 
some of the piece, some of the works of art, you can really give time to. Yeah. And you can interact with. Yeah. And um, I actually felt it was kind of just right. Yeah. <laughs> because I I spent a few hours here and it was enough. You know, yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. If I think, I think if there were thirty pieces, it would. Well, you could. It would be the kind of exhibition that you would just come back to. Yeah, it would be a different experience because, you know, the Dallas Museum of Art right now has a exhaustive video survey. Right. Yeah. Um, called Truth, 24 frames per second, and it definitely requires you to go three or four times if you want to experience everything in its depth and totality. Yeah. So that's fine too, but I think on our, most museum visitors probably don't do that. No, I think that's absolutely true. They yeah. come in once, and so when you can come in and get a sense of the story you're, you've crafted and you're, you're, you're um, presenting and how we put that together as viewers, I think it's really inviting. So it's good you had the smaller space. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's advantages to it. And these these different works of art are so expansive, such as the one we're in right now. Yeah. You know, that um, it's just, there's a lot of breathing room. Advocacy Fund. Production by Matthew Horton. Theme song and logo by Otto Huditz. I'm Janiel Engelstad. Thanks for listening. And visit the Make Art with Purpose website to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs>